0: Before we start this podcast we would like to acknowledge the true locals the first nations people who have been custodians of the lands waters and cultures for tens of thousands of years we pay respect to first nations elders past present and emerging and acknowledge that this podcast is taking place on guttigal land in australia where sovereignty was never ceded tom carroll is an icon of australian surfing Bored and bred in newport on the northern beaches Tom managed to rack up 26 career world tour wins, three Pipeline Master victories and two world titles. He is a trailblazer in professional surfing, being the first goofy foot to win a world title and also the first surfing millionaire, securing a lucrative contract with Quicksilver. His surfing career has extended far beyond his professional career, going on to conquer unknown big wave spots with his partner in crime, Ross Clark Jones. After his competitive career finish, Tom faced some demons and managed to come out the other side better equipped and better than ever, diving deep into his now love and passion for meditation and being able to spread that tool with other people. Welcome to the Ocean Matters Podcast by board Socks with your host, Dan O'Connell. Without further ado, we've got Tom Carroll on the Oceans Matter podcast today. Thanks very much for being here, Tom. Mm, it's my pleasure, Dan. Beauty. So I was going to start off um, where we always do in the Oceans Matter podcast, and that was um, where did you grow up and what was life like growing up?
1: Mm, wow. It's a big one. Um, uh, I was born into Newport Beach, north side of um, Sydney here, and all the beaches just around the corner here. I can look to my right, down there. we just just um, perched up here in Bugola Headland. This was a um, yeah, like 1961. I was born, so uh, my first photographs of being at the beach are actually Clareville Beach, uh, around Pitwater. Okay, is that the Bayside? Uh, we used to go around there quite a lot in Pitwater side, yeah. Nice. And uh, as a as a baby, and then. Uh, over time, it was, uh, yeah, we, we just frequented the, the surf, you know, down the swim between the flags in front of Newport Surf Club as kids, and uh, we had nothing to do with the surf, surf Life Saving Club. We, as a family, but we'd just go down there, and I remember just wanting to, just couldn't wait to get to the ocean. And we had a, uh, well, my, my sister who's the oldest one, she was five years old and me and two and a half years older than Nick, my bigger brother. Uh, and Josephine had a, had this surfer, like a, a, mat, a rubber mat, had like this, like handles at the front, and just inflatable mat, and I used to be the last one to get that. <laughs> but I was so froth on getting it after those two had ruined it, Nick would pretty much dominate it. But, I'd get that thing and I'd, I'd just be like, yes, you know? and I'd, and, um, and I was um, I never forget. Yeah, I mean, you can never forget when you get your first surfboard. But it was um, in it's um let's say summer, 1967, 68, So I just my birthday is right at the end of the year, November, late November, and uh, I just turned seven and um, my our mother was passing away, she had um, um, pancreatic cancer I didn't know anything about what was going on, I just was going to visit her in hospital all that year and it seemed like forever we were going, she was never at home and we were going to hospital to see her on the weekends and spend time with her I just didn't get it, I was just too young six, I should, six turning seven six turning seven, yeah, six years old all that year and watching my mother kind of deteriorate um but I didn't know exactly what was going on mm-hmm. I didn't really emotionally sort of kind of hit grasp it yeah until way down the track but it was more uh that year for Christmas there was this rumor going on uh, around the house that uh there was a surfboard going to be given out I thought oh well I'll get the surfboard because Nick will get the surfboard Joe will get something else because she's definitely changing, I didn't know what was going on for her, but <laughs> she was definitely changing Yeah, uh, around that sort of, you know, 13 years old or something, and she, she was definitely a different person I remember going, oh she's different I was like, but um, uh, <clears throat> and she wasn't really using the surf plane anymore and so I was going to get the hand-me-down, hand-me-down yeah. which was normal, like for me to get hand-me-down, so just that way that's the way I thought it was going to be and so anyway, the morning comes a Christmas morning, and, and Mum's home and <clears throat> from hospital, and she's got Christmas Day with us, and uh, she's in bed, and we all go into the bedroom, and, you know, Joe gets something, then Nick gets books, and i go, oh my God, I ever going, yeah, you know, before I even got her, I was going, oh my God, I could feel that. I'm going get a surfboard
0: sort of feeling. Yeah, it's a dense. My mum
1: pulls this surfboard out from my mouth, but it's actually a cooler, You know, foam? Oh, yeah. foam the cooler, light board, these. Shaped into a sort of a, kind of a, like a, sort of a square tail with a round nose. And, <clears throat> and it was painted green, it had a yellow, uh, like, stripe down the side, like it was a, was really, had a sporty stripe on it. I was like, Frothing. I couldn't believe how I was just. This is mine, yeah. uh I, I, I just let's go, <laughs> like, let's go, and I can just
0: beeline it to the ocean as fast as we could. How was Nick, Nick in in taking the news? Because he did. Did he not have I a board at that stage?
1: I don't. You know, I was so one-track minded that I was not bothering about what he thought at all. You know, he had probably got the surfer plane, so or whatever. But this board was mine.
0: That's a good to me.
1: <laughs> so I got command over it. And um, so I sort of just got down to the ocean. I never forget those first few surfs. We didn't know about wax, surf wax. And so it was just this shiny paint on top of the styrofoam. And I was just slipping off it, like slipping, slipping. Couldn't stay on the board. I'm going, I can't stay on the board. I've got sluggos on. And I'm like sliding and slipping and sliding and then there'd be, a, like, probably about a half foot wave come and I'd just freak out and throw the board like, ah! <laughs> I, I was scared, you know. So, so like, maybe a, not even a foot wave. You know?
0: So it wasn't like one of those foamies now where it's kind of, you get a bit of grip on the surface, no it was just grip. full.
1: No grip, just a slippery paint. Yeah. And you had to actually figure out that you needed wax. Mm. And so we figured it out I and mean, then we went to the Ampole Station, which was in Newport and we bought some Ampole surf wax <coughs> which was basically beeswax. It yes. wasn't like we got a nicely formulated wax now it wasn't like that, it was like, it was like candle wax like, <laughs> and I tried to rub it on, didn't work and so I ended up just dripping it on with a <coughs> with a, a candle and using the candle as well and just put it on sort of making sure it didn't burn but the wax i finally got wax on it and wow. it started to come together
0: yeah uh, that's so uh, iconic candle wax for, yeah. for your first board yeah that's crazy yeah. <laughs> and then so yeah you, you kind of you got your, surf, your first surfboard mm. and you just start surfing the local Newport is that is that where you yeah. kind of cut your teeth
1: yeah uh, um yeah I stood up for the first time in front of Newport Surf Club on that foam board um mm. later that that summer um And I'll never forget, it was a Thursday afternoon. So that Thursday afternoon when I stood up on the board was big. Something really sort of hit me. I got on back to that one, you know. Uh, So, Newport was, you know, after my mum passed away, only a few months down the track. Uh, Then um, my father moved out of that house, moved us out of that house, because what had actually happened in, in the meantime in that year was uh, you know, how there's three lanes either way at the moment along Barra Road there it used to be only two lanes and we lived opposite Bungan Beach, literally 209 Barra Road so it, it, it was literally across from Kalu Parade that goes down into Bungan and uh, it was only one lane either way and all of a sudden the, the main road department's sort of dad sold that whole front yard which which just basically was going to dominate the house the road, which it does, and so we moved down into close, actually moved down closer to the ocean, down into Newport Village, and I could then I could walk to the beach wow. which was another level of freedom, you know like, that I was experiencing uh, and access to the ocean uh, became easier for me and you know, and and I got to meet new people new, um, friends and stuff, and uh, finally got a job. I actually, I found a fiberglass board that I really liked that someone had for sale for 25 bucks, and, uh, and I <clears throat> and I never get getting the courage up one evening when my father had come home from work and he was outside in the balcony, never get that moment either when I sort of had to. I got the courage to ask to borrow 25 bucks. <laughs> Can I borrow 25 bucks? I had nowhere else to get 25 bucks. I didn't know how to get $25, you know? So $25 is a lot, a lot of money. Like even seven was 50 cents back then was significant. You could buy a bag of lollies, like, buy like the biggest bag of lollies, the lollies were coming at like half a cent, you know, yeah. each, so, um, or maybe even less, so. And that's how I kind, of, I kind of saw wealth was through lollies, you know, at that point. <laughs> How many bags of lollies Yeah, bags bag of lollies I could get on the back of
0: it? <laughs> buying the whole shop, basically. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> is, so we, <clears throat> $25 is just way out of my reach. Uh, and he, I remember just walking out of that balcony and going, Dad, can, can I borrow Twenty-five dollars to buy this surfboard. You know, I want to get this fiberglass surfboard. I just need to up. I just remember riding this board, just going. This is so much faster. I just wanted that speed. You know, that feeling of just flying along. And it was a five-foot-six um, Ron Wade um, single fin. There was just twin fins. Back then, weren't that great <laughs> at all. But uh, not that I knew much about that but single film, but that was it. Um, and then uh, my dad said, okay, so, okay, I'll do that, Tom, but you gonna have to pay it back. So what you have to do is go and get yourself a job. And I was like 11. <laughs> I was like 10, wow. 10, I think 10, 10 years old. And I, I started to become a bit more familiar with all the guys down the beach. And there was a, there was a, oh God, how am I going to get a job, like, what's it mean to have a job? I just didn't know. I remember walking off going, what's that mean? Where do I get a job? He goes, uh, and I did ask his dad, and he goes, oh, I want to try the, the paper shop. You know, like, they've got to get the papers out. You know, maybe you can help them out there. Maybe you can go and, you know, do a paper run, you know, like with the Manly Daily. That they, They've got a job there, but all those runs were taken by kids and stuff. So I, was, I went, uh, and I knew that I knew the, sur- the surfer who was actually managing the shop, uh, Gordon Walker, for the owner.
0: But the local surf shop? It
1: was, uh, no, it was, a, it was a news agency. Oh, cool. So there was no surf shop in Newport.
0: Yeah. Uh, I was going to uh, ask you, like, back then, how, how roughly how many people were kind of in the surfing community uh, around Newport and the local beaches, like when you rocked up, how many people would you be expect to be in the water? I don't know.
1: Well, it was pretty tricky. It was probably... Mm, then a couple of buddies and then there was like the older crew who would kick you out of the peak they wouldn't let you surf the peak so <laughs> they just wouldn't let you surf the peak as soon as, if we got out there early we'd have a little gap as the sun was raining and then those guys would be out there and go get out of here so we had to go and surf down the beach or somewhere else it was just the way it is, we just weren't allowed to surf with them and that was like Derek Hine and, and Gordon Walker and, and that was the Gordon was the one who's the manager of the of the news agency. So I kind of went into the news agency. I remember seeing Gordon and said, Have you guys got a, a job? I need to buy a surfboard and i have gonna gotta save money and and Gordon goes, Huh. Looked around the owner the owner, Mr Pitt and said, Oh, Tom wants a job. Uh, what can we what can we give him? And he goes, Oh, he can help us roll papers uh, but you have to turn up at 4.30am on a Saturday and a Sunday morning and you're going to help Gordon roll the papers and then I drive around and I just throw them on the front lawns in my mini-moke, you know? Yep. out a mini-moke and just <laughs> pulled up the papers and just belted it around the, you know, up on the plateau and around Newport just throwing papers out, maybe hitting the, <laughs> hitting the yard. But the... Um, and so I turned up, you know, that got up 4am, got down... Started at 4:30, and I was making $1.50 a dollar fifty in morning, and eventually three dollars a weekend. I got myself twenty five dollars, paid it back to dad, but I had a board in my hands. Nice, and and uh, and so that kind of thought might qualify me to kind of be a part of that peak crew, the crew stuff. The peak didn't. <laughs> it <typical> didn't <way>, really. <laughs> how,
0: how long you know, did they keep keep kicking you out for?
1: I can't remember, but it was a while. It seemed like a couple of years of sort of torment. Yeah, um, I, it's a good of, wave to peak,
0: isn't it? Compared to the beach, you would have yeah, been tortured as well. Just closing
1: out. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: So we, we were very creative. We would go and find waves um, around different parts of the beaches, and then we actually do treks around the uh, around a Bill Gola or even walk over to Bungan or Rocks to Bungan around the Rocks to Bungan was always a big mission Mm. so we'd spend the whole day at Bungan
0: yeah Mm. Bungan's a great beach isn't it kind of the left in the corner would have been a good training ground for you yeah uh, not
1: that I knew what I was looking for but I love the banks and so just I just you know this is the way waves are when you're that age It just they're so like fresh and new and 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 all, and just the colour of early mornings, and, and you know, just getting drawn to the way nature was forming waves over sandbars and stuff, and understanding. And then I had this book called *The Pictorial History of Surfing* (Australian Pictorial History of Surfing) uh, by Hamelin, and, and it used to be my bible. I used to look at photos in there. I didn't really used to read it, unlike my brother used to read books, you know, from cover to cover, like twenty-four-seven. I was sort of, I don't know what happens with nature, but they send siblings the opposite direction for a Yine,
0: reason. Yin and yang. Yeah,
1: get get them about as far, get that <laughs> seed about as far away from each other as possible. Yeah. So we can spread it and it can be more effective and more diverse. I'm sure that's a part of the, the deeper plan. And I, Absolutely. And I was like, oh, I just didn't want to read because I saw him reading all the time. I was going, that's so boring. I ought to go and climb a tree, but... One thing he did, it loved pictures and loved seeing the way water came off a surfboard and certain photos and how they kind of made me feel like this, you know, big stormy waves like, uh, you know, like black and white photographs and things like that which there's people surfing Hawaii, these giant waves, and I just like going. What are, they, what are these people thinking? <laughs> They're
0: going to die. Yeah, yeah it's mm. all—it's amazing when you're at that age. Hey, yeah. your imagination runs wild. On,
1: yeah, yeah, it's yeah. so fresh, you
0: know. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I remember when I was I grew up in Victoria, and one day I had a really good surf session. I was driving home from Thirteenth Beach, and there was like the big. You're going through this passage that where it's just the big walls either side of you and I was just like looking at it and I could almost imagine it was a wave like after a good surf session and I was like wow like I want to surf yeah. a wave like that one day you yeah. Know? yeah yeah so yeah after um from that that time you went on to win the New South Wales school board school boys titles in 1974 mm. um and then like it's quite clear you're on the on a path to being in the top tier of your age group yeah. um I guess. At that stage, were you thinking this is a career path or were you just doing it because it was fun?
1: It was funny, like we'd mentioned surf shops a moment ago and the first surf shop opened, uh, I think I was 12 years old in Newport and uh, Charlie Ryan opened up the surf shop and and he kind of opened up a new world for us because it was somewhere to kind of hang and be you know, sort of central to the, the surfing gathering surfing communities to some degree and just uh, and see the different surfboards and so on, the culture of actually sort of surfing really coming to our home town and, um, and we are already looking at surf magazines you know, my brother and I and my brother sort of came into surfing a little bit after me, or he took a bit of a hiatus over one Christmas and then he came back to it and saw how i developed and gone oh my god, what's he? He can do this and this and that and this, and now he's all confident. Oh, that's sort of blown me out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So this the comp- competitive nature of him sort of kicked off, and he needed to do his homework. When I thought um, he did his homework, <laughs> well, like homework alright. Yeah. Um, so we, we, um, yeah, through um, Charlie, um, I got involved with Cole Smith Narrowbeen. and Cole Smith Narrabeen shaped these really beautiful boards for me, and he actually started driving me to surf competitions. And that's how I started getting kind of, I didn't know what I was doing in competition, by the way, I was never a a natural strategist, you know, I was never a natural competitive surfer. I didn't start surfing to compete, but it just started started to come in as a part of the culture of Australia and surfing. And and I used to see some of the surfers that I'd see in surf movies at, at Avalon Cinema, and then I'd see these guys in the magazines, and these people that I'd like look, the look of, and I'd go, oh my God, I want to be like that, and they'd be, like, either winning some event, like Michael Peterson, or, you know, Jerry Lopez, the Pablo Masters, and all that sort of stuff, so I was really, I was really taken by the visual, and the whole, oh my God, and then, then I started getting some recognition, because just the way I surfed, I go, and, 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 and then Cole Smith, you know, that's sort of jumping forward a bit, but. Cole Smith uh, gave me surfboards, and he started giving me recognition you know, as a surfer, and was doing well. So he, was, he
0: was kind of sponsoring you, giving you boards, and was he coaching as well, or? Uh,
1: he would sort of do some coaching, but he was—he um, uh, was more like a mentor, like overall, like I took him as a mentor. Well, our father was really caught in his work and probably like dealing with you know like the loss of a mother to his children and all that sort of stuff and back then men wouldn't wouldn't have like sort of talked about it just uh, <laughs> so yeah sucked it all in and just put it into his work yeah. so it sort of disappeared into his work so I had no real parental guidance my grandmother was in, come over from england to look after us our grandmother and so we are pretty much sort of free to roam the way we wanted and uh and so i kind of looked up to cole as a father sort of figure and he kind of guided me in in many ways and took me to competitions i and took care of me until i was probably probably 16 17 and 18 i moved over to burn surfboards but yep. but cole kind of sorted me with uh sort of and opened it more, because he was a bit of a hero of mine, Cole Smith, Narrabeen was... He's a legend. A f- absolute yep. legend, incredible, vertical, very radical surf at the time, like, probably the most radical at the time. Oh, it's so, a good,
0: so, good role model to have in so, your life, like, yeah. how all these things kind of stacked up for yeah. you, like, getting the board, mm. getting the freedom, and then yeah. getting the mentor, like, they really kind yeah. of fell in line for you.
1: Everything sort of, sort of slotted in. It all had to do with the ocean, like... Uh, It had to be in the ocean.
0: Um, You say you you weren't competitive, like, you weren't naturally competitive. Were Mm. you still, like, if you lost a heat or something, would you feel quite bummed or you just, if the waves were good and and you had a good time, it was just, like, whatever?
1: I think I bit, you know, I bite. Like, I bite on competition. I do bite. It's not like I'm... But I'm not naturally, like, driving competitively 24-7 in my head. Like, I'm going to be competitive with this and competitive with that I'm going to get really good at that so I can be the best at it even though becoming a really really good surfer and becoming a world champion all of a sudden well shoot I've got to be world champion at everything yeah. you know like it does have its complications at some level it's yeah. funny but uh, when I when I was young, younger I just because because surfing was really came as something that it came from my mother really and so my mother left me and then I when I look back on it, reflect on it, I was sort of dealing with this loss through being in the ocean with the waves, Yeah. instead of dealing with this, oh, what, what just happened then? And then cognizing it through the developing brain, I kind of look back and go, wow, this kid just kind of was sort of moving with the flow in the ocean, was sort of it, his best place to sort of deal with whatever was going on at the time. And thank God. Mm. Really, you know, yeah. I'd look, look at it sort of from a therapeutic point of view. You
0: know, it's, it was incredible. Yeah, I did. I did something. Well, I had something similar happen in my life. I lost my dad when I was eighteen to cancer, yeah. and yeah. just straight away, just drawn to the ocean. Like I was always like surfing and growing up, mm. but like as soon as he passed, it was yeah. just like tripled down. You know, like mm. any any opportunity I get, I was there or traveling, and it was. Yeah, kind of like a therapist, I guess. Like, for sure. In how it, it helps you.
1: Yeah, it, helps, it just allows us to sort of concentrate on the uh, a, a natural kind of equaliser. Yeah. <laughs> Na- nature's equaliser, you know, sort of. Uh, I can so easily get lost on land, but I'm in the water, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> so that's for me. Get in the water. Yeah, yeah. yeah get in the water and equalise it. Mm.
0: That's it. Um, so, yeah, after you know your career was progressing I know you had a bit of a, an injury um, I think it was at a Sydney pub with your knee
1: yeah it was just out Newport um, Arms and, and I was just with my buddies and I was, I was just, just leaving it because I was getting myself ready to compete in Europe and um, I uh, I'd actually originally done the injury when I was 16 surfing Yamuna Point On a crazy slabby right-hander that just goes triple suck at low tide, and we used to go and when it was too big on the northern on the on the northern beaches, we used to just pile into cars. I don't know who found this wave or
0: I've never heard of it. So (laughs) points on on the other side of Broken Bay. Yeah, there's a good slab there. Crazy
1: bodyboard wave. (laughs) Yeah, not a bodyboarders, but we used to go and surf it. We used to just pile into cars, egg, egg fights all the way to your minor get there and just pull in like just go hard Yeah. pull in like just do whatever we could to sort out do each other and uh and get completely smashed right? like <laughs> and I remember just uh I, I tried to has it I, I tried to I looked at the the sucky um this suck was a big one came into the section and I was just drawing Turned into this like, triple sucky wave, and I thought, oh, well, I'm not going to go through that. I'll have to sort of turn out and straighten out. I went to straighten out, and I went on to a, you know, when a, when a platform's drawing out, it goes pretty flat along the platform, and then it goes into the triple suck. Well, I sort of hit that flat bit and sort of slowed down on it, and then the whole thing just sort of came up over the top of me and just landed right in the center of me squashed me into my board oh. and I had a pair of board shorts and this I had a this rip curl kind of just short sleeve vest on and it didn't have any zip or anything on it so it was always hard to get on and off I remember that but it was kind of a snug fit anyway that got torn off in the wipeout, out oh. and my, my knee just got ripped apart so I was just going what the hell just happened then I ended up in the rocks like floating around the rocks because I couldn't work out because of the shock of what's just happened and I'm floating around the rocks and I've got to get my board and I've got to get my vest and my knee is just sort of flopping around all over the place it's just, it's got nothing holding it together and I didn't know whether I could walk on it or not And um, but I somehow got up the rocks and got up to the car and, all, in- by, all by yourself all by myself and uh, I got into the car, I was sitting there going, something really bad happened. The boys ended up coming in, we ended up driving all the way back. Ble- it blew up a lot. And four years later, and, and I did go and see a specialist about it, and he had a, never forget, this guy had a bow tie. He was a, up at Mossman there, he was an orthopedic surgeon. He didn't, ex- he didn't, um, like, uh, investigate the joint at all. He just sort of looked over a big desk and said, oh, Sonny... Um, take these and put the script there for for you and then I'll get my nurse to measure for, for crutches and then we'll, uh, you know, keep it wrapped and you'll be okay in about six weeks. And I thought, oh, that's good. Like, I just took his word for it that he knew what he was talking about. But he didn't even look and didn't investigate it, didn't know. He just sort of pulled it away from me and was behind a big desk. Just sort of thought, oh, this blond surfy guy doesn't did yeah. really get injured. Put some know? ice on it. He just, just wrote it off. Yeah. And so when I looked back at wow that was just such you know, that negligence negligence from someone who who was supposedly recited the Hippocratic Oath, you know, I was just I was like oh, wow. But the <clears throat> four years down the track, multiple dislocations.
0: Yeah, it would slip. Uh, it would yeah. just slip out of joint all the time.
1: A lot of a lot of uh, yeah, there was a break mark medial uh, ligament completely and I broke the ACL completely so they were gone didn't actually get to or the medial ligament rejoined but very loosely so for four years of multiple discussions and uh, just loose bodies and stuff floating around in the knee 20 when I was 20 I finally was jumping um, onto a driveway off the back of the uh, Newport Arms beer garden and I was two weeks away from com- going to Europe, my first trip to Europe to compete, 1981, and I was frothing to go, I couldn't wait to go, and I was jumping over this, um, this sort of fence down onto where the, the bowl shop comes up, this ramp comes up behind, round. Back in the day, you could just jump off that little wall, it wasn't such a big wall, it is now, but I <clears> remember <throat> jumping off the wall and then turning to land on the ramp, after saying goodbye to someone, and I landed and it popped out backward. Oh. So I just hit the deck, and oh. I went, holy fuck what just happened man? and uh, a lot of shock, and I was on the ramp just going, I couldn't get up and walk, like, without this crazy pain underneath my neck cap, and I was going, <clears throat> wow. So what that did was, it just pointed me in the direction of Australia's, like, gum. Um, orthopaedic surgeon who'd just developed this special ACL um, uh, replacement um, surgery with a hamstring, which they still oh, use today. Yeah, that,
0: that's, I thought that was almost new technology, No, he had it back then.
1: There's an Australian doctor by the name of Merv Cross. Wow. Well. His son, I like is a great surgeon at the moment, so... He's retired, of course, Merv. Merv was just a classic. He was just like saw me, oh, look, jeez, Tommy's like that. Give us a look at that knee. He started yeah. yanking it around, pulling it out of the joint, going, holy, this guy's insane. Like He goes, jeez, you got nothing there. He goes, okay, we'll fix that up for you. And he just slapped my leg. I'm going, hey, you'll be right, mate. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll the nurse will get you the date and we'll go in there and we'll, we'll sort that out for you. <laughs> totally different than any other doctor I've ever met. So yeah. I was just like, wow, that guy's... And I've got the date, November before, and um, I was able to kind of heal Ooh. after that, and then go and compete in Japan prior to the surgery. So it's amazing how quick the body wants to heal and get going again.
0: Yeah. Um, so it was what, like a six, eight-month turnaround? Uh, once goes. I had the surgery, it was about
1: four and a half months before I was competing.
0: Wow. Uh, yeah.
1: And that was a full, um, yeah, hamstring graft. Yeah. And...
0: With, at the same time, um, I, I heard a lot about you becoming kind of the benchmark for rehab and training. to that mm. instill kind of training into your career?
1: Yeah, that's what I did. The, the injury actually started, the injury from the get-go, when I was 16, started me looking at new ways of doing things for my body, like, in new ways of trying to, um, repair it, heal it, make it better, and, uh, even at the really subtle level, but, uh... By the time I had the surgery, it was time to really rehab, get into rehab, because I knew that I, I'd, I'd had a c- couple of shots over the bow. For one, one doctor said, oh, you won't be competing again. Mm-hmm. You won't be competing again with that name." And I was like, "I remember waking up crying, going, I don't know, I don't, that's the, there is a deep competitor in me for sure, but it was more wrapped around sort of the idea of being." really, really good at what I was doing, being recognized for it. it. wasn't sort of about having to beat everyone but I need I needed to do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it was sort of like I was wrapped around that performance. Around about it was around performance. Yeah, actually. yeah you that's wanted all. to be the best version I of your to, surfing self. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I wanted to perform and perform and and I was so inspired by so many great surfers and I just wanted to be who <laughs> yeah, the best I could be and that's like I um I remember just sort of waking up crying, going what do you mean, I, I'm not going to be competing again. I go, that was the kind of the track to yeah. go, over, even though there wasn't really a career path, but that's where I wanted to be. And it yeah. was, particularly I already had, had some good results, and so I was not in full-on international competition, but in junior pro events and, um, and things like that, where yeah. I'd become twice junior pro champion and Competed in a lot of international events already in Hawaii, got made a pipeline masters already, yeah. final, and, and all that sort of stuff. So I already had some...
0: It was your full-time job back then at the I stage? I was coming on as yeah. a full-time job. Still um, doing a few odd jobs and yeah, stuff. Yeah, and I
1: was doing some gardening. Uh, you know, I came out of school at 16 and went into um, fixing car, like doing panel beating. <laughs> yeah. did that for a year and a half. I went to... I went to um, you know tech and all that sort of stuff and I found that was one thing that Showed me that I didn't want to do. You know, I That'd just didn't want to do that. I wanted to do. I want to do sort of uh, thing. thing. Yeah. <laughs> I want to do whatever I can to get into that.
0: Yeah. That would have been motivating. Very motivating. That yeah. and the Com- surgeon telling you you're not going to compete, and you're just like, <laughs> 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 I'll show you guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. i
1: show. You. Literally, I had a lot of that in there. Yeah,
0: for sure. yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, do you still? Do you have? Does it give you any problems now? Do you still have to rehab it and train it? Or
1: um, yeah, it's been a constant lesson this knee. You know, it's like um, I've got a I've got a titanium and oxenium uh, and polyethylene, medical grade polyethylene pad in there now, so that's been amazing to have a replacement knee. It's actually really good. So I've had that in since 2017, and we're sort of talking about this is the day when they've just held the eddy. In the eddy in 2016, I just bashed my knee around really bad in the outer reef and I knew it was about time to get a replacement, but the knee was in such bad shape by the by this time that it was what happens to the body. It wants to double its, it wants to keep growing on top of itself to try and protect itself in osteoarthritis, and that's what is the joint of the knee was this big like soccer ball almost, and so it was like, um, yeah, that Eddie. I went and surfed it and. There was all these pieces floating around, and I was pretty used to that. And the, per- the surgeon who did my 15,000k services on the knee, has taken all the stuff out every few years, he says, oh, we'll do one more of these. I don't think you've got another one in here." Um, but we'll have to wait until... Because I went home after having this crazy... just get beat down out of the Himalayas... And that's when they held the they they called the first Eddie call off, and they said there's another swell coming, and I thought oh, I've got to go home. That I, I could hardly walk on my leg after this beatdown, um, and something was going on. And I thought oh, I'll I ended up um, coming home, and my doctor said uh, by the time I got home, and it seemed that everything seemed to settle down, and it sort of on the plane, literally sort of everything fell into place for some reason. I get home and he goes, oh, it doesn't look too bad. I said, oh, I've got to go back and surf the eddy because I didn't tell them because I was just about to cancel my eddy position. I was going, oh, I want to go back and surf the eddy. And I Anyway, he said, look, we can wrap it up. We did some strength tests. It all looked pretty good. You know, it was holding up and then we just taped it up real tight and I went and surfed the eddy. It right. wasn't a way... Well, wasn't a good way to surf the Hetty cat. but uh, that was when I came home from that, I went, I've got to go and do this replacement thing, and I did my research and had a replacement, but that's what happens down the track when you get
0: a 16-year-old lead down at,
1: and, yeah. in dislocation. And
0: the body's life. been definitely through a bit yeah. in, in your lifetime. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> from 16 to how old were you when you last Hetty invite?
1: Uh, well, I'm 61 now. Yep. Yeah. It was 2016. Yeah.
0: It's a lot of years in between of surfing big waves. And, um, Mm. yeah, I was was actually, one of the questions I have to ask is, Mm. you know, coming from the Northern beaches, it's not typically a big wave, um, destination. Um, what, when did it, when did you get inspired to start kind of dipping your toes into bigger waves realms? And what were some of the people or or waves over here that helped you kind of get that confidence?
1: Well, it's funny, you know, you kind of, you know, you pretty, you know, when you're a kid, you sort of bounce off the other kids that you're surfing against and, uh, well, against surfing with as your buddies. And my first surfing buddy, Alan French, who was a really, really good surfer, he was better than what I was naturally, a very good surfer. and uh, But as soon as the waves were sort of above three to four feet, he was just so happened to had to do something with his mum or you know I'd go around to go you know he goes oh, well, oh you know I went to, to tidy room. my room yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> got to go and do this that Yeah. so I was ducking and weaving and I, I didn't know I was going oh he's always got something going I didn't figure it until later but I was like um, after a while because he had a fiberglass board before me and i just go can I use your fiberglass board and just go out and uh, and and I just naturally wanted to be in it, in, in the power. It wasn't. And my dad used to have to pluck me out of currents, you know, in, in, the, in the cool light. He just <laughs> had to come out and, Do you know, you're in a current. I'd go, no, nah, this is good. I'm like, <laughs> this is the spot. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't have any. kind of fear for the ocean. It just was uh, somewhere where it, you know, like. I just wanted to feel the power, and it's just, and I think some some people are more prone to it than others from the get go. Yep. I was definitely more prone to it, just going out there and paddling out in anything, and uh, and and over the years, I uh, you know we started our big first big wave spot was like South Newport and the, the kind of crap wave out of the pool <laughs> uh, it just was like the big drop and you know whoever went out there on the big days it was just like you know like it was kind of a big thing and there was a couple of big you know David Jones and Jeff Crow were the two older guys who surfed the biggest waves in Newport and we used to, I used to watch those guys out there on their big yellow boards and stuff and I'd just like oh you know I'd go up the top of the headland and go you know, right all the way to top just to watch what's going on, where are they, where are they sitting. I used to sort of kind of just naturally froth on that. But, be, but be not have the right equipment, I just knew that I didn't have the right surfboards at that point there, but I kind of liked it and I also loved looking in these magazines or going to the movies and seeing you know, Pipeline or Sunset Beach and there was just such a thing around Hawaii for me, like it just had a had this drawing, kind of like, had a big, powerful magnetism to me. And so when I was surfing, when I'd see a surf movie and, at um, Avalon Theatre, I usually just beg our dad to give us, you know, a fifty to go and see the, see the movie on a Sunday night. We'd go and see the Sunday night movie, and it'd be like a free ride. Well, free ride came down that, down a track, but like going surfing and, and Morning of the Earth and all those sort of movies you know, they were really uh, imprinted into my system, like, and I'd go out surfing, and I'd just go, oh, that's like that wave, and that's like that wave, and I'd just be imagining every wave, uh, just at Newport, uh, as to that, you know, sort of married into that wave, or well, that kind of looks like sunset, or, yeah. you know, that looks like, you know, pipeline, so all this sort of imagery was really powerful. For yeah, that, it's you crazy
0: you had that amount of um, fascination with it, and then it almost seems like that fascination and like pre emptying mm. of those waves really played a big role in your success in like pipeline and yeah. standout sessions in sunset and mm. um, rock piles and stuff it's, it's almost like meditating on it you're like
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. well we do we visualize uh, and that, that became a big thing for me later in competition to understand how to, uh, to understand deeper visualization but it's like a it's something happening. It's precursor. We you know, we study something for long enough. It sort of just starts to manifest before you. You you can't not because um, sort of your intention is to be out there, and that just drags your attention to it. So you just it's just this this for life force sort of moving in that direction. It's yeah. like a and I think with, with surfing it uh, and all the imagery around it I was. I was lucky I came in at that time, I think, when I look at today, I think I'd probably be, uh, probably be, um, <laughs> have to put me on an ADHD meditation I something. Yeah. or well, it's ADD, or whatever, I don't know, but yeah. it's like...
0: A um, yeah, so, and then, and obviously after that period, you also were uh, chasing waves with Ross Clark Jones for a bit during the... I remember watching the, the storm surfers storm documentary sur- and that was <laughs> that was an epic documentary like for me growing up I was like wow <laughs> yeah um what what are some of your standout sessions from from those times or mm. or you know times where you think maybe did you ever bite off more than you can chew with Ross or have any
1: uh oh, a lot a lot you know yeah <laughs> a lot of times with Ross, yeah. you know, a bit of more than we can chew <laughs> um it was just the way we were and our chemistry worked Uh. But it was good because we kind of related to each other's energy. Um, and there was a sort of a magnetism in there that sort of um, had a charge to it. And I guess um, when I first met Ross, I saw, I met him in Hawaii. It was actually, he, he uh, I just noticed that he, him and I would be the ones that would be looking for the most, like, if there was a crazy onshore day and it was just because it was a bit crazy and onshore everyone else would just be like pulling back and' we'd be going oh, what are you talking about mm. let's go so sort of and then we out there trying to get the biggest wave or pushing each other into this crazy situations and even to the point of just going body surfing some places we go body surfing there. And you just get sended on a huge shore break and just go, Fuck, look at that guy, he's just a nut. You know, and I just go, That's what I wanna do. You know? So we we had that kind of fired up energy energy. Um, and Hawaii was the place where it really sort of came came on and I think down the track when we started just you know, experimenting with surfing with jet skis and Ross was really kind of at the forefront of that on the North Shore. Um, I was a little bit iffy about getting involved. I had young family at the time and I was going I don't know whether I can commit to sort of coming to and for Hawaii and all that sort of stuff and doing that. Even Eddie was a really hard one to stick to and um so I was a bit iffy about that until a little bit down the track. Oh I just saw how much fun that had me. and I was going, oh, I've got to have a go at that. I've got to get stuck into that. So that was sort of yeah late, late 90s um, started really sort of moving with it and started discovering waves that we could tow around Australia um, which was really cool and started looking at other places in the world not just Jaws which was only a tow wave at that point um, not paddling it yet uh, and
0: What do you think about the shift back towards paddle surfing now in the last kind of five years it's really stepped up it's
1: fantastic it's really good I think that was just an actual kind of movement I think you know we as as the nature of our of who we are we want to be able to solo it you know to some degree as a male masculine energy we want to solo this thing try to pull it off you know solo it that's the greatest challenge it's to sort of go and paddle out and then sort of have the nerve to sort of hang out underneath one of those things as it's coming towards you but the, it's just a nerve to sit under one of those waves at Jaws like a 50-foot wave and spin around and think okay well I, this is where I have to start paddling mm-hmm. and I have to paddle real hard to get into this thing and it's going to be just a massive journey. you know you, you wheel yourself in you get yourself down the face and you get yourself through the wave and out it's a huge, massive accomplishment, mm. um, and so that was not. I just I think it's just a natural urge. I remember towing it, going, "Yeah, someone's going to paddle this. Like, someone's going to be crazy enough to paddle it, Yeah. and to really push it." And those guys, there's there's a Brazilian crew of Daniela de Kuto, I don't know that. Um, um, Daniela is it? Yeah, and.
0: Um, the, the fellow that passed away recently oh, as got well. It. Yeah, I heard he was pretty big yeah, and pioneering. he was a
1: part of that crew. And paddling um, it on the left. Yeah, like, so they all sort of paddling the left more, but um, but towing that wave was amazing.
0: Yeah, I bet. It was <laughs> so
1: good. It was like just like it's, snowboarding. Yeah, a giant wave and a giant mountain, a good solid mountain, yeah. moving mountain. Um, <laughs> uh, but towing all the outer reefs we never used to as soon as we were behind the jet ski Ross and I um no I had to get a shoulder surgery <laughs> just the tearing of the shoulder as you're taking off with Ross with the throttle <laughs> giving it a bit You'd too much had to yeah. sort of give somewhere but we used to yeah used to just go and uh, uh, attack the outer reefs of Oahu and so on which was awesome and then we started adventuring down here and Ross had a real big Thing, being on Resbonnet, they wanted to go and find places that no one ever, you know, ever, ever think about it, but massive. So I thought, all right, guys, you want to come for a ride? Yeah. <laughs> so started doing that. That was yeah. pretty cool and documenting it. Yeah, it was, it was a
0: great, great series. I remember watching it with the whole family, and it was kind of, kind of one of those series that brought people in that weren't necessarily surfers, and that, like, my parents weren't surfers, but I remember them sitting down and watching it with me and being like, wow, that's that's out there somewhere you know like people <laughs> mm. are doing this so mm. that was really cool um compared to uh the tour and life now how what are the some of the differences you noticed back in your day like do you think the tour was how they had it you guys had it better then or they have it better now or what? some of the the differences no,
1: no, i think it's all kind of relative um It's, you know, competition's really, you know, it's always been really tough, it just got tougher and tougher, and I think um, there's more great surfers on the planet, more really good surfers on the planet than there ever were today, coming from all these different countries, you know. It's like, it's phenomenal how it's sort of moved out and expanded itself, because it's just expansive surfing anyway, it's just a very expansive uh, um, um, activity anyway, you know, and I think the natural sort of progression in surfing has—it's been—it's had a lot of incredible gifts come its way. Like one of the great gifts for the competitive angle of surfing at the WSL is the Ziff family, who supported it right at the time when it absolutely needed it its most. But a lot of this, a lot of pro surfing sort of spits and spats of sort of growth and sort of dips and growths um, have also had to come along with a lot of criticism and a lot of a lot of uh, so you're a competitive surfer you're a soul surfer that sort of thing and as a at either one you're still a surfer like so you're still enjoying you know you can get caught up in a competitive thing too much for sure uh i i did um and lose the idea of why i started surfing and, but the great thing about surfing is it's always there and it's always there for to return to. I think, um, but today the the it's all relative. I don't think it's either you know better than we had it better than. I just don't. I can't go with that. I think today it's it's. I get such a kick out of watching some of the surfers today and how they place themselves on the wave and how they use their equipment underneath their feet and read the wave i just love it i just love just the act of it it's Look. uh it's really special and in yeah. any you know you can see today back in the 80s if you just walked down the beach with a board that was just slightly different or you know you walked down the board with a long board or came with the surf out the peak with a long board like you're out kicked out you're out like your bodyboard out mm-hmm. like i've got, always wondered what, what's the big deal is let them surf like oh we're just out here to have a surf have fun there'd be some crew that is so tortured over the fact that it should be like this mm. and they're not doing it the way we've you know it's like going, <laughs> that doesn't yeah. work with me too well so I was pretty I never one for kind of restriction yeah and and you know and actually you know when I was coming back from my my knee surgery. I uh, had a I couldn't stay to the surf, I had a, a fiberglass cast. That's how they used to let a um the, the knee reconstruction. Um, is was a ninety degree fiberglass cast. I used to go to get on a goat boat and surf
0: them. <laughs> <laughs> That'd have been classic. Yeah. Lucky yeah. the old crew weren't there back <laughs> like no, in the day. They were there, the... they just oh, there? going Oh my god, this is yeah.
1: like early eighties. I was like with the hardcore crew, like they're just like going, Oh god, Carol's here, he's on the goat boat. I'm
0: taking off outside, just the whole it. time,
1: yeah. And yeah. it was cool because I could surf, <laughs>
0: yeah. That's it, it's all about just getting in the salt every day. Yeah. Um, so yeah, after your career kind of finished, um, how was that transition for you? Um, after you finished your career, like did it leave quite a void in your life? Like, I know you've spoken about kind of some habits that you picked up that were, you know, not ideal. Um, yeah, what what was that next stage of your life like after yeah. your career?
1: Um, well, I guess I think my career's really ever sort of kind of finished, but um, uh, there was a big transition coming off, like, full-time competition where it's really structured and, like, uh, and also, like, your ego stroked or it's, you know, it's getting stroked or battered. (laughs) So one or the other, it's never like right through the middle where it's really sort of a little bit sort of bland. It's always like one way or the other, so there's uh, a, you're kind of creating an excitement either way and uh, it's sort of, uh, and you want to fight or you want to self-praise or yeah, all that sort of stuff that comes from being in that arena. It's very self-fulfilling and then all of a sudden that's not there it's, it's a very strange space to be in, and, um, you know, I, I kind of, I wouldn't say it was a habit of mine, drugs hadn't been, become a real, I had the di- addictive personality, you know, even that's, we all the, have the addictive seed in us, like, um, at any given time, depending on conditions, you know, it's like the perfect storm can happen at, you know, under the right conditions, so, uh, in the right conditions in my life, certain things happened, and then I could, then I found an escape in something that I'd felt before that had actually, oh, I'd tried that before, oh, maybe that's a good way to go, you know, like, and it didn't make any sense, you know, you think about it, just like anyone, why would you, why would you do that, like, it doesn't make any sense when you're away from it, mm. but when you're in it, and you, you, don't want to see it, so you, your mind plays the tricks and Mm -hmm. so by the time i was sort of you know out off the tour and trying to make my career work off tour and uh and and being part of the surf industry through quicksilver which is really good um and everything was really rosy i i decided that was not a bad idea to sort of start binging on cocaine (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't a good idea um um wasn't a good idea but it you know it's at first it starts to be a party uh, it starts off as a party like anything like that and it's kind of cool and fun maybe a little bit and then it gets a little bit tweaked because you're one of those who like to take it a little bit further than others and then you just notice that about yourself and you go oh, what's wrong with these people and then you find someone that actually likes to go hard and you're kind of going oh yeah all those people don't know how to go hard you know and <laughs> then you find something that supports that kind of the direction And then in skating on thin ice that's when I was skating on thin ice and uh, and I noticed that when I first started became a father and all those responsibilities and and mm. then just becoming supposedly a, a normal citizen yeah. but <laughs> it was hard for me to sort of adjust out of that Sort of, and yeah. I'd say the first, the last three years on tour, I wasn't so healthy either. I sort of wanted to be off tour earlier than what I came off tour, and I didn't make the decision straight away. It was a bit messy for me um, because I found it hard to come off the tour.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, there was no real help, and uh, not that I was seeking help, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe there was help.
0: I yeah, guess uh, you're in that stage where the, like there's no blueprint for what yeah, you're going through you know you were one of the first probably people yeah. to make a living out of professional surfing yeah. and the culture that surrounds it mm. and you're leaving and there's no one there to tell you like yeah. what you know yeah, to, has been through right. that so yeah
1: there's no such um, yeah there's no such planning
0: mm. um, but yeah I yeah. totally get it what you mean like um, you know, addictive personalities like I've seen friends and lost friends and but even just generally in everyday life, like you just see people, like, you know, I'm guilty of myself just being on your phone too much, yeah. or is these kind of impulsive yeah. behaviors. And it's, it's really hard to, mm. when you're there, is just to take a step back and realize that mm. that's an impulsive behavior because your mind's rationalizing it. Yeah. You're like, it's not an impulsive behavior. Yeah, like, that's, yeah. You
1: yeah and like, you set up, set up those sort of behaviors within yourself and it turns into a pattern. Yeah, and the pattern of how you respond to the world—you either sort of dive right into the world, or you kind of want to avoid the world, or yeah, you know, either which way.
0: Yeah, and so how did you manage to course correct back from those? Like, what what was the turning point where you kind of caught yourself and were like, changed directions? Well, it
1: was kind of nature that kind of fell into um, course correct me. <laughs> it was more like I was pushing against it. There's, a, you know, the whole I was pushing against that, I was willfully kind of forcing myself, you know, to not be aware of what's going on and sort of trying to, trying to turn my blind eye to what was going on around me that was telling me that, oh shit, Tom, you've got to kind of address this, you've got to address this. By the time I kind of, this is like, when I first realised I had a problem properly, it was probably 1991. And then it was until 2006 when nature had me in a full corrective experience and you you're hitting your knees, kind of like, fuck, I can't, I can't, I can't do this on my own sort of thing. And that, that's really a really big turning point. Um, and, you know, all of a sudden you, you sort of turn around and ask for help, just, and the help's all there. It's just amazing. And yeah. then. And then you, then there's a when we do drop all the influence of exogenous sort of um, chemical influences into the brain, into the system, we start we we stop that. Um, it's tricky. It takes a while for the body to adjust, um, the physiology to adjust, and the spirit to adjust with it, because the spirit's kind of like. Coming alive, and if it, if you if you feel like you're really good, really quick, it's sort of a bit dodgy because then you go, "Oh shit, I could, I'm feeling alright. Mm. What's wrong with me? There's nothing wrong with me." <laughs> but that um, to open up to a real recovery program, program of recovery from addiction, um, a really solid sort of sensation of I can't do this on my own must come about, and I think that's. Uh, and that's when you turn around and then then be open to a new idea because so they're old r- ideas repeating themselves in addiction That they just they just turn on top of themselves turn on top of themselves oh it'll be better this time it'll be next time it'll 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 just it'll feel different I'll have control over it. it I, I, all that stuff mm. <laughs> it's just it just spins more little fibs to you uh, to support you because there's the addict's a pretty powerful entity within the system. Mm. It's like it'll it'll be super creative. Yeah. Like <laughs> incredibly yeah. creative.
0: Absolutely. So we need to
1: actually tap into a source that's just as broad minded as as it. So and that means we have to move beyond ourselves and ask for help at first and then you know, then you can actually get back on board and get, get this stuff out of the system, the system starts because your body always wants to repair itself. It's amazing. It is. It's, it's incredible. It's just sitting here, even at a crusty old age of 61, it, it wants to keep repairing and coming back alive. And so um, it's never over till if that lady sins. Right? Absolutely. That's what I see. Now I'm in a good position within myself. I can sort of help people in situations, and that's part of the recovery program how it kind of works, to yeah. freely share it.
0: Absolutely, know. yeah, and I was going to say, like, it's such a common story in surfing, you know, Andy Irons, MP, mm-hmm. Jeff Hackman, Oki Flea, Ben Gravy. the list of kind of people go on and on that have been through these processes and either come out one side or the other, which mm-hmm. is, is, you know, That's some just tragedies and some, yeah.
1: <laughs> That's just a couple in surfing you just rattle off, man. It's just, yeah. It just goes on and on and on I and know. on.
0: Um do you, yeah. do you have any advice for kind of the young grommets who who might be tiptoeing on the edge of like that loving surf lifestyle but also experimenting with partying and
1: Um look I I just be careful, um, at some level. You know, and when, when you know, it's just getting t d don't iron out that voice inside you that is your is your guide. You, you've got a voice inside you that actually says oh maybe that's not a good idea Tom that's your conscience the conscience is that's your guide that's your connection to the higher source that we have we all have this conscience and the clearer that conscience is the the louder it can be it's quite often when you're drowning it out when you're trying to turn away from oh maybe it's not such a good idea this weekend I want to go and do something that's going to be good if you're saying that you want to do something that's good for you and then you get dragged back in well you're not listening to your conscience your conscience will eventually get so loud it'll be unbearable so you'll have to get something in you that's even bigger to try and drown that, that that loud say oh and that actually will could turn on you and say oh you're just a piece of shit because you can't pull it off you know and that's just a downward spiral,
0: yeah.
1: which uh, we need help. You know, if someone's in that position out there, I highly recommend reaching out for help. Um, professional help's good. You can always hit Lifeline, um, somewhere where you can get a, 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 an outside point of view that's neutral. You can also hit the I know the twelve-step programs of uh, Narcotics Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous, and there's a whole bunch of those twelve-step programs are wonderful. They've got free help lines too that you can tap into. But anyone there uh,
0: will will have uh, an open ear for you. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, one, I don't know if this came before, during, or after, but one thing that's kind of came into your life later on was meditation um, when did med- meditation enter your life and, and kind of how has it benefited you yeah so
1: meditation came into my life literally when I was having my corrective experience with coming clean you know yep. and coming clean like it's like it's a pretty freaky feeling because you you drop you're dropping what seemed to be an old friend um, all these substances that come in their various forms to sort of lean against uh, to escape reality and all of a sudden you're in the reality and it's like oh shit I don't know whether I can handle this and, and my head's going upside down I'm crazy um, crazy with drugs crazy without them <laughs> like <laughs> what am I doing yeah. uh, so <laughs> uh, uh, maybe I was better off on them you know, like, you know so the trick goes on but we well uh, I'm, I'm in treatment by this time I've actually fallen into um, a really good um, treatment centre over there at Kirk called uh, South Pacific Private, and, uh, and, you know, I was just so lucky to fall into that place in the right time. And, um, and in there they were giving um, meditation. Um, they, they, were, they were voluntary. They weren't involuntary. I mean, you didn't have to do them. You know, you'd, you'd come and go with that stuff this is a suggestion and this is a suggestion in the, 12, in the 12 steps too of recovery which were miraculously written and put together for a whole bunch of um, alcoholics and, and so on addicts and people who suffered and were able to sort of see how to start to heal um, through a series of steps taken and um, in the 11th step they talk about prayer uh, and meditation as being a part of the maintenance of recovery and I was. Um, I thought. Oh God, my head is so freaking crazy. I can't stop thinking, and this is such a uh, a big inquiry for a lot of people. Oh, I can't stop thinking. Oh, this meditation's going to make help me stop thinking. It's kind of funny because we can't. You can't. You know, thinking won't stop thinking. So, so. Uh, but I didn't find that out straight away. Uh, sitting to meditate in that first meditation inside rehab was for five minutes and i couldn't sit for two minutes it was very very tricky uh but that that moment where i actually somehow stayed within the practice for five minutes and came out it sort of went i oh got okay okay i'm going to commit commit myself to this every day at least every day in this rehab and i just started doing it every day every morning uh and it started to um, well, I'd met someone in the 12 Step Fellowship prior to coming to rehab who was meditating was a long-term meditator who's something like 23 years clean or something at the time there was a couple of a couple of meditators and they said, Tom um, uh, as I came out of rehab and I started sort of feeling a lot more settled within myself or how I started getting insight which was powerful insights Um, in a place where I was being held really well to fall apart. So during the meditation, um, plus all the other program, I started sort of, this stuff started sort of coming up and processing through me and I could sort of witness this stuff. And that was the guidance that I got in the meditations that I was doing um, and availing myself to it was only about 15 minutes each morning prior to going out for a walk on the beach and stuff would come up and sort of something would happen uh, and it was quite profound I came out of that rehab thinking oh god I, I could use any da- I could come out and use well, I heard a lot of stories about that come straight out of rehab and go and to the dealer and pick up mm-hmm. Boom. and I was like shitting myself I was like yep. really scared so I stayed really close to my friends in, my new friends in Narcotics Anonymous particularly but you know it can be any Step fellowship you know, in that, that area of healing, but uh, in in those in those in that program, I started to sort of keep my keep my meditation up daily, and I extended it. I started to, and that the my cle- older cleaner friend said, um, "What will happen, Tom, is you're going to start to um, create a gap between your first thought." And your action. So when I was crazy, I couldn't, I'd just be thinking and the thoughts that I was thinking and I'd be stuck on those thoughts and then I'd be off. I never knew what I was about to do. I was so unpredictable, mm. you know. And that's a hard person to be with when they, oh, I'm just doing that. Yeah, I'm not doing that. I'm just, <laughs> just
0: yep. all over the place. I know that all too well. Yeah. yeah,
1: and so I'm like, within about three months, took about three months of practice, which is I gave myself and thoroughly to it and sat through my disturbances and the whatever the, the morning would bring when I'd wake up. I just sat through and stick come back to my practice, kept coming back to the practice, let myself drift and then come back. And that started to sort of create, and all of a sudden I started to see this gap appear. Like, it was real. I was like, whoa... I'm like actually experiencing this gap. Like, I had a little bit more insight onto how I was going to respond to this person's um, question or how this scenario was playing out in front of me and normally I'd be sort of, you know, like telling these people to, in my head to fuck off. Like, uh, Or I'd just be really uh, reactive, but I'm not. All of a sudden I'm like, oh, oh I can see a, sort of another solution to this and all of a sudden all this sort of stuff started to happen around about the three month mark yep. uh, and it sort of progressed from there
0: that's, that's when they say um, the brain kind of rewires a bit don't they from addiction yeah. and
1: yeah the 90 day, 90 day. thing is, is, is pretty strong if you do um, something each day for a 90 day period yeah
0: uh, and meditation but, just would aid that as well I'm sure yeah mm. yeah and
1: so I just kept it up and stayed with the practice. What, what's the your practice
0: at the moment? It's it's Vedic.
1: It's Vedic. Uh, it's Vedic. Uh, it's a two times twenty minutes a day yeah. with a mantra, and I do some other breath breath work practices with it, and so on with the Sattva style. But it's it's very uh, very supportive. It's self supporting. It's it's I can do it anywhere, anytime. It's it's a wonderful thing, and I love sharing it with people. It's like yeah. a yeah, and, and that's how people really get something out of it. And the fact that today, <laughs> more than any other time in human history where we're bombarded with so much information, it's very hard to see the woods for the trees. And so um, it's probably just as relevant today as ever. Big I mean, time. These ancient practices, these are old. They're, not, they're nothing new about these practices. They're thousands of years old, so it's not... It's yeah. tried and true right yeah absolutely so, yeah, it's gone through the the, the the test of time and by mm, the the masters of the practice and that comes down through specific teachings and so on and traditions we start to see a refinement of it so it's a
0: pretty cool what yeah. happens when we start to put in our life yeah it's amazing and I, I know you get to you teach it now so that must be so good to share it with other yeah. people that you kind of seen and might have been in similar situations to mm. you before and just like helping them free their mind a bit mm. um do you have any other kind of practices that you're doing um you, you mentioned breath work before but yoga or cold cold ice bars mm.
1: yeah like? uh, been doing ice baths off and on since two thousand seventeen. That's sort of that's been really good. I do some swim training with my brother from time to time. I go, I go at the moment. It's not as consistent as what I'd like to be with it, um, but I'll be back to it. And I do some like um, stability work, bit stability work, which is um and, and also some breath work along with the ice bath yeah so breath work ice bath, and sauna kind of combination oh. So all that sort of comes in together i do um i don't work out like crazy like i used to like i used to do some really crazy workouts I used to do open ocean paddling a lot and, which i'm kind of getting into foiling as you can see in the van right now but I, I love the foiling it's like a it's like, and it's opened up a whole new world, and so downwind foiling, that really takes a lot out of your legs. I'm
0: trying it's sort crazy. to
1: sort of get into that, but I'm finding time, uh, it's a bit tricky to get right there, but...
0: I follow Josh Coo quite closely. We're oh, mates, Josh. and he's he's been on this podcast before. And um, yeah, he's amazing. He's amazing. Yeah, I just love I love watching him and he just hearing so all his cool stories. And yeah. used to be rock up to Bondi a couple of times, and he'd be paddling his foil in because he'd it's stacked, and there'd be a helicopter behind him that thought he was lost out to sea. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of running to his car. Yeah, Josh has, Josh has really really pushed it
1: out there. He um, has, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: I've
1: done a couple of tow sessions with him out at Longie, uh, where we go and tow foil um a lot yeah it's
0: super fun epic yeah well mate you're looking fit and healthy and it's good to see yeah, that you're, you're yeah, up man. there keeping it a keeping yeah. it going for the older crew like especially you know yeah. guys like you and kelly are just like so inspiring for <laughs> even me as a younger guy to feel like that's what i could be like at that age yeah. that's super inspiring yeah so thank you Pleasure. um so yeah i'm just going to finish with our quick fire mm-hmm. end questions um if you're going to give your 16 year old self any life advice what would it be
1: Listen to the
0: uh, yeah to that um, that voice of conscience. Of conscience. If you could have dinner with one oh. person, dead or alive, who would it be?
1: Wow, mm. yeah. <laughs> that's wild. Uh, uh, I'd like to I'd like to go back and have dinner with um, uh, Gandhi. You know, like sit down with Gandhi and have a bit of a chat to him. That would have been good, Mahatma Gandhi.
0: Yeah, that's a Um, great one. Yeah. Um, If the world was going to end and you had one country left to go on a surf trip, where would it be?
1: Oh, I'd like to go to Chile. Surf some waves down Chile.
0: Those big lefts, they'd probably suit you. Something's got me.
1: I just haven't been able to get there and I've been watching it since I was a kid. Yeah. the storms going towards that continent and just going there must be something there and then I'll find out that it's all left so yeah. I'd like to go there
0: yeah yeah it's some really good waves over there um, if you had to ride one board for the rest of your life what would it be and why
1: I've got a 6.0 um, single fin 8 channel at home that I shape. And it's got two little side bites that I can take in and out uh, inside the last channel on the rail, the fourth channel on the outside of the rail. So that board, it's just got something about it that I could pretty much surf in decent size even, or it's got, got paddle power, and I could surf in small ways.
0: It's a one, one board quiver.
1: One board in that board, yeah. That's I a perfect
0: answer. Um, where do you see the future of surfing going?
1: Gosh, that's a big one. Surfing itself will still be, you know, itself, literally. Surfing will um, cons- consistently sort of move as long as there's still a lot of backing with the competition sort of lifting its competition. We'll see amazing surfing coming from, from both men and women. The women are definitely sending it really hard now. So we'll see the women really shine in the next sort of decade. Uh, and actually some, some of that will, will return to us in a, in a way that's surprising and will, I think, show male capabilities up to some degree. Um, as you can see, for me, the last WSL final with Steph Gilmore um, you know, coming on so strong with her grace. And I sensed that her style and grace on that day were kind of, kind of advanced <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> compared to the rest of them. Absolutely. But uh, so that's kind of interesting for me. But gosh, riding a wave, got foiling. God, I didn't know that I was going to be foiling. You know, five years ago. So
0: <laughs> God
1: knows what's coming. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. yeah. we're we'll yeah. doing all sorts of funny things just to ride a bump in the ocean. Yeah,
0: it's mm. crazy. Um, why does the ocean matter to you?
1: That's given me an incredible life. Uh, it's really is a part of my every cell. So it's, and I'll, I'll remain that. I don't think I'll, <laughs> anything's going to change too quickly there. But the ocean is, yeah, it just gives me life every day. It then gives so many people so much life. It's like it's constantly giving. She is just uh, a, what I would say, the ultimate mother.
0: Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Beautiful answer. Thank you so much for your time, mate. Deeply appreciate it. And uh, that was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. Same here. Yeah. Thank you very much,
0: Dan. If you enjoyed this episode of Ocean Matters Podcast, powered by Board Socks, then please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We'd be incredibly grateful to keep this show moving in the right direction and to keep spreading the word and the stories of the ocean's beautiful powers to the people from all walks of life.